85% of daily fantasy sports players lose. Don't be surprised, it's rigged. You're playing against thousands of lineups and experts with more tools and time. Stat Hero is the first ever daily fantasy sports book that gives the player the advantage. Here's how it works Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head to head matchup. You name your stakes and winner takes all. So go to stathero.com slash capspace. You can sign up for free. And right now you get 300% back on your first play. That's stathero.com slash capspace. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Okay, I think we're good to go. Nice. Well, uh, thank you to everybody for joining us. Um, I say this at the beginning of, of, of all these now. Nate and I are turning this into a podcast. So uh, you please do not, you don't need to ask if we can hear you. If we can't hear you, we will definitely let you know. But so that makes it uh, makes it easier for us to edit for, for, for podcast reasons. And we'll go in, rec- in speaker request order. Um, we'll try to... Ha- you go to first time askers, not meaning like within within this episode, not like you know with other ones. First, and then we'll get into it. So, thank you everybody for joining us. Philip, you are on the air. Philip, are you there? Well, we're off to a good start. <laughs> we're off to a good start, Philip. If, if I see you in the queue again, I'll, I'll move you up. Uh, Gene, you are on the air. All right. So, just uh, two questions. One's a silly question. Um, how does something like um, this is more for Nate. Nate, I know you're in the 2K games. Um, how does that like come together? Do they like write you and say, "Hey, we want to put you in the game"? Um, do you like actually like coordinate that with them or something like that? Or how does that work? Uh, well, so yeah, they just asked me if I wanted to be in it, and then I filled out a form, and I was. It's basically just uh, just for free. I mean, I'm not uh, for people to be clear. I'm not into the games. I've actually never played before, but I'm in the game uh, tweeting little asinine things at about like your player (laughs) or or whatever uh but yeah so that that's that's about all it it happened it really wasn't that sexy at all (laughs) um and the next question um how do you guys see the nbl going forward Um, you're seeing a lot of players like getting ownership stakes um players coming over like um i believe giddy is like a top 14 pick jay sean tate um even cam oliver now with the rockets he just got signed I feel like I never heard much about them before, and it's like ever since um, Lamelo went there, it's like I'm seeing more people come out of there. I'm seeing you know players like Demar Derozan, I believe, just um, was buying a stake on a team. I know um, Lamelo was saying he was interested. I'm just seeing more and more come from NBL, and I'm just starting to think: is that a new alternative route for development? I feel like you know the more ways to develop players, the better. You know, basketball is such a global sport. Um, is that going to be because I know sometimes with these leagues, it's like, you know, they're doing good in this league, but that league's not really good. You know, they they got to go up against better competition. Is NBL starting to climb up in those ranks or is that still, you know, not really, you know, great in comparison to the obviously not NCAA, but like the other leagues that um, some of the players go to that aren't college? So the economics of the NBL are really interesting and really they don't make much money there. At all, I used to joke with my buddy Tom Reed, who who's uh, Australian, that the basketball is like between the tenth and eleventh most popular sport in Australia. Now, the Australians who are into it are super into it, as my Twitter mentions. Uh, whenever I say something about Aaron Baines taking a charge, uh, can confirm. But you know, I mean, most players in that league, you know, are probably not making even six figures unless you're really good. And they're just the TV contract, the fans. Like, there's just is Australia's got about 
30 million people or so. I mean, it's there just isn't enough money there unless it becomes like way more popular domestically. There probably isn't enough money there in terms of people overseas watching games. They're basically, I think, just like available for free right now. So I wouldn't expect that the economics, just based on how popular the league is, to be able to pay players along the lines of what they can make in the Euro League. So that's one important component. But the other important component is that playing in Europe really isn't a good place to go for development. Those teams have gotten pretty wary about giving big money to American players who haven't really proven that they can be effective in the international game, whether it's from a lifestyle standpoint or just fitting into the European way of practicing and playing. And so you really got to kind of go there and establish yourself for a few years to get that big money. So there's kind of two components. This one is, you know, the RJ Hampton, the LaMelo, the Terrence Ferguson. You're not eligible yet. You can go play in the NBL. The other one is the Jay Sean Tate uh, type of level, or you you could say DD who who just got drafted, Justinian Jessup this year as a place to develop. And I think there is starting to be more of an understanding that the league is at least at a high enough level where guys can go over there and develop. Like, it's not a joke. You have real players there. It's men. It's physical. But there aren't that many games. You still get a lot of practice time to improve. You're speaking in English, so there isn't nearly as much of a cultural adjustment as well. And so I think there's an understanding at least that, like, you know, Jay Sean Chait, for example, he was one of the best players in the league. But, like, being one of the best players in that league actually means something, whereas there wasn't necessarily, I think, that thought in the past and then the last component to it sorry i've gone on as long as i have but there's a lot of interesting components to this is as far as guys wanting to go over there before they are drafted basically the only way that works economically to pay them enough is if they then have a buyout in their contract which the nba team uh, who drafts them ends up paying which is around eight hundred thousand dollars is the most that nba teams are allowed to pay and that's kind of how they can pay these guys that much and then they get that buyout afterwards and end up making money on it uh, afterwards and get some good publicity for the team. So those are all the components of this league. I think it's really interesting. We'll see how the G League Select impacts that as well when we're not in a pandemic and when Americans can go back over to Australia again. I mean, that's the other thing too, is Australia is like pretty much eradicated coronavirus, but they haven't vaccinated very well. So they might may not even be open next year. Uh, for people to come in very easily, you know, you might have to go through like 14 day quarantine or something, which might make it difficult. So uh, I don't know if that specifically answered your question, but that's, that's kind of all I got on where the Australian league is right now. No, that, that was good. That's what I needed to hear. Thank you. Sorry, Danny. I didn't have anything for you. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Bye guys. But Okay. We will go to um, John, John, you are on the air. Hello. Hey, hey. John. What do you got for us, John? Oh, I could not. I could not hear you guys back. So I had a question about. Uh, so I, I just watched the Sunday night game. Anthony Davis went ballistic against the Suns, yeah. and then I saw on, on NBA Twitter that people were just debating between him, Jokic, uh, and Joel Embiid as the best big man in the NBA. I think it's head and shoulders, Davis. What are you guys' thoughts? What do you think, Danny? Well, I think if you're if your goal, I mean, Nate and I, when we do player rankings, it's, you know, regular season plus a playoffs. And so I think that all three of them are good enough to, you know, assuming Davis plays enough and Embiid plays enough to get to get you in. I think that Jokic is the most valuable of them as a regular season player because he never misses time. And well, and you do get any of that. But if it's the idea is, 
you know, winning a playoff game or, you know, getting into that rarefied air, which I think that it is when you're that good, then I, I value Davis. I think that Davis, he, he is the, not only the best defender of that group, he is all like in the abstract. He's also more versatile, which I think is really important. You know, he can do some switching. He can play the four or the five. And while Davis might not have the best, you know, offensive game as the lead guy i think that he fits in very well as a complimentary player so yeah i'd rather have i'd rather have Jokic offensively um but davis the combination of the two i would say that he is he is the best player to me yeah i think it, yeah is a regular season when Embiid is on the floor when Jokic is on the floor if he's if those guys are the best player on your team that you're probably going to win more games than if anthony davis is the best player on your team but the fact that davis can play the four a lot that he can shoot it well enough he can guard really any position at least on a switch that just makes him so much more valuable to me and he's not he's not the primary offensive player in terms of just being able to dominate his matchup the the way that Jokic and Embiid can but he still is very very good and he plays very well with the solid pick and roll paint players uh, you know, he's probably as good of a deep, you know, as good of a role man as Jokic. I would say they have different strengths and weaknesses. He's better there than Embiid, spaces the floor better than Embiid. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's just having fewer weaknesses in the end. You are more likely to win a championship with Anthony Davis on your team and then another perimeter star than you would be with Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid on your team and another perimeter star. So that's why I picked Davis as well but you know we'll see we'll get some more data points here i mean the the sixers are going to be in great position these playoffs uh Jokic is going to have a great chance again to show what he can do and, and so uh we may be seeing a different tune by the end of these playoffs uh one quick clarification uh before before we get all the way into it with from before john responds is i I think Davis can you can do a lot with him as your best player, but I think that if he's your lead offensive player, that's different. So like you could have somebody who is a worse overall, right. you know, like would be lower in our player rankings, but is a superior, you know, can generate looks via pick and roll or something like that. Like the the tenth best point guard, the fifteenth best point guard in the league would do a lot of damage with Eddie Davis. So he'd be the better player, but they would be the more important probably offensive. Yeah, if player. you paired him with like a Bradley Beal or a Devin Booker, like that level of player you probably would, would still have a, a, a very, very good team. Or Kyrie Irving. Sorry, Celtics fans. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, John, is that kind of what you were thinking as well when you said that you thought Davis was the best? Yes, because I, I, in my opinion, if all three of those guys are the first option in the regular season, you're getting to the playoffs. You, just get, you, got, you get in the dance, and then in the playoffs, who's the most valuable? And Davis, in my opinion, just elevates over those two guys, especially on the defensive end, being able to guard almost one through five. And I, I value the playoffs way more than regular season because I think all three of those guys are going to coast up to the regular season and you'll get to the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, we will move on. We have a lot of speaker requests in. Um, Philip, you were on before, so I mean, and it didn't work, so I'm going to try you now. Philip, you there? Hello, I'm here. Fantastic. Yay. My name is... Yes, thank you for the love of God. I'm Phil. I wanted to talk. Uh, I wanted to talk about the Sacramento Kings. I'm a diehard Kings fan. I'm going to a game tonight, uh, first one in a long time, um, and I just was looking at the rosters for this evening, and it is. I cannot think of a. I cannot think of a better, not better, but um, a more comical event of G leaguers backups. 
uh, and just happenstance that it is going to be wild. Um, but they're playing the Thunder this evening. And I think Pokashevsky is probably the person I'm most excited to see, I guess. Uh, and so my, my main question, I just wanted to get Sacramento is, has a narrative of being a punching bag for most things. Um, but I really wanted to get some perspective on what do you think should happen with Luke Walton and Marvin Bagley? Those are like the two biggest questions for the franchise going into next season. It's I can't make sense of the defense this year and I can't make sense of the streakiness from Bagley. And we have to like really set Fox and Halliburton are a great backcourt. And so we really got to make some decisions heading into the next couple of years. Well, I'll start by saying that after 15 years out of the playoffs, I think literally every Kings fan qualifies as diehard at this point. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because you're still alive even after 15 years <laughs> following the I'm team. literally the John McClain of <laughs> NBA fans, yes. Yeah. No, I, I love Kings fans, actually. And to still be as passionate as they are after this streak. I mean, same as Warriors fans were for, for so long. And it, it would be great to see them oh, yeah. actually get to be good again. And, yeah, I, I've been saying this for a while. I think Bagley just... Not only do I just not think he's going to be that good, but he just kind of messes up everything else that you're doing. You know, when you put him out there at center, we know how grisly those numbers are defensively this year. And at the four, he's not really a good enough shooter. He can't really defend on the perimeter. They've tried having him switch some this year. That has not worked particularly well either. So I think he just kind of, we said this when he was drafted, if he's going to be this awesome scorer and awesome rebounder, then maybe it's worth it to have to make all these tactical sacrifices to have him out there. But he hasn't proven to be that. He's just not efficient enough and can't stay healthy either. Some of that's hand injuries, which hopefully won't be an issue going forward. But still, he just hasn't shown enough to me. And I think it would just be good for him to get a new start. And frankly, like he's not worth the $10 million or whatever he's making next year. So I would try to move on from him if I can. There may not even be a taker, frankly. But I think both he and Buddy Heald... You know, if you just say we're going to have Halliburton, Fox, Harrison Barnes, and then we bring back Rashawn Holmes and get some kind of a real three in there, I think that's like a real team, you know, and then you've got Wright coming off the bench at either guard spot. So you start to get a rotation that comes into view a little bit, whereas now you're always got Buddy Heald at the three, you know, like their best guy to guard Steph Curry was Buddy Heald. I mean that's that's a problem, right? <laughs> like the, you you need yeah. you need someone yeah. who's a little bit better. Maybe Halliburton can maneuver into that, but he's also really kind of more of an off-ball guy. So yeah, I, I think you're just you got with Heald and Bagley, your team just doesn't make sense right now. And to just make it like a yeah. normal modern NBA team, and then see how far uh, Halliburton and Fox can take you there. I really thought Bagley was gonna. He showed off a little bit against the Pacers uh, when he came back from his last injury. And I've long wanted to get Miles Turner or even like Domantas Sabonis in some fantasy in some fantasy trade where suddenly Bagley is an asset to fit alongside like Karis LeVert in Indiana and get some, some distressed assets for the Kings because that's all we can ever get. And I was really excited, but I don't think it's going to work out. I mean, I mean the, the challenge with Bagley, I I thought about this more with John Collins, who is a better than Bagley, and but it's the same kind of idea, which is. You have to be so good at what you do well 
in order to justify the hoops that the team has to jump through to build the roster around them. And like that is the, you know, there are players who are, who are that good and you can get it at various positions. Maybe it's a, a great offensive power forward that can't defend the five or what it like Dirk is, is, an, is an example there. But my concern with Bagley always was that he had to be that level, like high level player and that anything less than that would be really difficult to build, to be a starting caliber player. And that, you know, I'm not going to, Right off, right off his potential, but it's a hard, it's a hard bar to clear. And with Bagley, it, it, you know, the, he, I think he's going to get lots of chances. We've seen you know, this came up with. Uh, I was talking about this actually with Seth Partno on Real GM Radio recently with Ben McElmore, like former Kings draft pick. He's gotten a lot of chances too. Um, and I think Bagley will get that, but like whether I see, I don't see a starter in there right now. I'd love to be wrong. I'm just, I don't think I am at the moment. Uh, but thank you very much to Philip for the question. I've been working with Indochino since way back in 2015. They outfitted my wedding with a tuxedo and sport coats for my groomsmen. I've got a number of suits from them as well. There's nothing like that feeling of knowing that your clothes just fit perfectly. And you're not going to get that at some store. You're not going to get that off the rack. Yeah, they say that they can customize it for you. But why should you start with something that's made for someone else and get them to try to make it fit you? Instead, Indochino makes stuff for you that fits perfectly. Whether it's custom fitted suits, shirts, casual wear, and more, it's all at surprisingly affordable prices. Their suits start at just $399 with all customizations included. Each piece is made your exact measurements. You can customize every detail, the fabric, the lapel, the monogram. They've got awesome statement linings as well. Whether you want to go into one of their many North American showrooms or book a virtual style consultation, just go to Indochino.com and you can get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using the code CAPSPACE at checkout. Easy to remember CAPSPACE, which I put all the time around the program. That's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com, promo code CAPSPACE. Don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know you came from us. Let's get to David. David, you are on the air. Building a modern-day defense, you guys had, like, I know you guys have specific players you'll throw out, but just, like, players I was thinking of, like, like an 03 KG, 16 Draymond, AB right now. Uh, probably not Kawhi in terms of like anchoring your D, but like who would you guys choose of any player you guys have seen to anchor a modern day defense? Probably Anthony Davis, right? Well, I mean, so Davis, he's not the most verse, like, you know, like he's, he's not as good as a switch defender as some of the other guys, but he's a better rim protector, I would argue, um, than a lot of them. So you would know, you know, K, I mean, I watched KG, but I wasn't quite at my level of, of analyst at that point. What would you like? What would the. Kevin Garnett, Anthony Davis debate beef there for you. Wait, so, so we're talking about all time here. Sorry, I, I, I missed a little bit of the question because I was tweeting out the defense. link again. Um, so I was, I was I was saying like all time playoff defense. If you're oh, make, like an all time. Well, so are we? Yeah. But we're saying one per one person. Any player all time in this series is taking place right now, or it's taking place. Yeah. So you trans yeah. you transport them to the modern day under modern yeah. rules. I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, probably. I think KG would be it. He he plays a little bit bit harder than than Anthony Davis, uh, I think, and, and maybe even a little bit smarter. Um, AD might be, uh, you know, KG didn't have to do as much one on one switching on the perimeter. I think he'd be pretty good at that, though. I, like KG is just ridiculous, and I think you know compared to like Tim Duncan, KG definitely has more uh, has more versatility as well. Like you could see Duncan, particularly later on. 
like in pick and roll it could be a little bit of a problem like that series that the Spurs lost to the Suns in 2010 like he really kind of got taken advantage of in pick and roll to some degree so I I think KG he could do literally everything on the floor defensively but AD wouldn't be that far behind and he still has a chance to build up that resume a little bit more certainly he was unbelievable there and then Draymond Green would be another one potentially as well I think maybe if you had you you would depend on the personnel that you had around him you know you would really need to have that awesome switching group he's not as good as you know if he's playing the four and you have another center next to him where he's got to play in the perimeter more he's not as good but yeah I think so probably uh maybe I'll call it KG Draymond and then Anthony Davis um anyone come to mind for you that I missed to drop them in the chat, those were the three. Those were the three I I put in the chat, like asking you guys. So yeah, that's what I was. That was, that was exactly what I was thinking along the lines of. Thanks. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen what Akeem Olajuwon would have been uh, as more in in a modern era. You know how he would have been in pick and roll, how he would have been as a switch guy. But we just didn't see enough of that from him. I don't think just due to the era that he played in to really know. Like it's possible. Because Akeem is probably a better shot blocker than any of the guys uh, and room protector than any of the guys I'm talking about uh, in his prime. So that that's one to consider also. But yeah. Uh, okay, should we move on, Dane? Uh, we could do this quickly from, from Kyle Sturgeon in the, in the discussion thing. Uh, what would you think about setting lottery odds based on payroll of non-lottery teams to the record in antidote to tanking? It creates a whole bunch of different adverse incentives. And for, for those who don't remember, that was another thing the process Sixers did was they barely spent any money. That's part of why it was more well, palatable. I, I think the, idea, the idea is that if you have a higher payroll, you have better lottery odds, right? Isn't that the idea? Ooh, that, that is that's, that, interesting. I mean, you know, f- feel free to change, uh, to disabuse us of that in the comments. So I think that's the idea. Is like you have to spend more money on players so that you're not just like totally tanking the way the Thunder are or those, those Sixers teams. But obviously that has your same issues in terms of incentives that you're talking about. Well, and about. that... E- yeah, and it, it creates, I mean, there could be lots of like weird, funny money stuff and everything. It's an interesting, interesting idea, though. Um, let's get to Ben. Ben, you are on the air. Sorry, I think I got disconnected there for a second. No, we got you now. Okay. Um, I have a question kind of about uh, the Raptors' defense this year, and then a very quick, uh, I think, fun thought experiment of a who says no trade proposal, but I'll start. Um, I was kind of like looking at uh, some lineups this year relative to last year, trying to take some. Uh, ones involving you know the players that were there both years and one of the glaring things you see in the year-over-year change in the defense is like obviously they they still give up a ton of threes by design um they still create a ton of turnovers by design um and they this year especially have just fouled the shit out of people yes they have and and that was also like the same last year in all non-gasol minutes yeah and I was wondering kind of in this like wacky, you know, help and recover defense, um, what traits you need from a big man to avoid that and kind of like, because I think this is such a high ceiling kind of low floor defense in a way in that like it requires a specific skill set to implement. I was wondering, other than being like a seven foot supercomputer, what uh, what did Gasol bring to uh, to this defense that allowed it to function the way it did and what other traits would they look for in big men to kind of replace Baines etc going forward yeah Gasol is one of the best ever at it I, this always would kill me when I was playing pickup is that you know I'd try to like get in the air and go up for a layup and you know 
the fat guy who was would usually be guarding me because I was like the tallest guy there would just like he wouldn't jump but he would just kind of like undercut me but like you know not hit me on the arm he just kind of like use his fat body and like knock me off kilter and you know I would get undercut a little bit and I'd miss the lip like Marcus obviously is you know nowhere near as fat as your average fat guy in a pickup game but like you know, he kind of gets, he figures that out a little bit, right? Like he kind of moves over, gets his body onto you, like knocks you over and he doesn't get called for a foul. He was very, very good at that. So I think that that's one thing. The other thing that occurs to me is just getting into bad matchups when you're flying around and they have no size this year at all. And uh, so I think Gasol's communication was really important as far as like helping move guys around, get guys into the right position. Uh, he would box out as well. I mean, they were never great on the defensive glass uh, in this whole era, you know, even going back to before Nurse. But, uh, you know, uh, if memory serves, they're a little bit better with him. You know, obviously, if you give up offensive rebounds, that's like a very key time when you're going to fall a lot, either fighting for position against a bigger guy or after they get the rebound and you feel like there's just no point but to foul. Uh, and also, they just have had more young guys. I mean, like Chris Boucher goes for a bunch of shot blocks and he's skinny and those guys just tend to follow a lot compared to like the more solid positional defenders. So yeah, maybe, maybe that's a problem and, and maybe I'm not ready to do like a full reassessment of Nick Nurse and whether his stuff works or not. This has just been such a bullshit season, but next year will be interesting. Uh, and obviously if they don't have a real team, then it will be a lot more interesting, but uh, I, I, there definitely are some concerns, I, I think, but I'm not willing to give much of a voice to them yet because this year has been so weird. And then I kind of just like as a stupid who says no kind of fun roster construction uh, trade proposal. I was wondering in a uh, Pascal Siakam for Brandon Ingram, um, who says no? And am I like totally way off in that that kind of sort of in a crazy way makes a little bit of sense for both teams? Well, so I, I think the the challenge is Siakam is a, a much better defender than Ingram. And I brought up my my issues with the Ingram Zion fit before, but I wonder how you kind of build a roster with those two. If Zion, Nate and I both don't think Zion can play center. I guess maybe you go to like a super switching system, but you don't really have that rim protector, like kind of kind of reactive player there. I, uh, in terms of who actually, I think in some ways both teams would say no. Like if we're that's if we're, exactly where I land. <laughs> if we're if we're being practical here, I think both David Griffin and Masai Ujiri like their player more. Um, and it's also like, but but the. There's this challenge with the Raptors that I've been trying to I've been dealing with over the last couple of months, which is basically like they need to add somebody who's kind of above everybody else in the offensive pecking order. I don't think Ingram's the right guy, but I do think that one of the ways to do it is to move somebody who's already under contract that might be easier in some ways than acquiring somebody without those guys. But it it is a real challenge. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, I would say Thanks, I would say on that one, uh, yes, the Raptors absolutely would love to have Brandon Ingram instead of Pascal Siakam. He's younger. He makes less money, too, because Pascal somehow got second-team All-NBA last year. Uh, and so he's he's making a lot more of the salary cap. And, yeah, I think they, they would probably believe, particularly with their development, that they could mold Ingram into being closer to a number-one option than what Siakam is. So I, I think – and I think OG would be a pretty good fit at the four. You know, because, like, OG and Siakam, they're both, like, kind of fours offensively whereas ingram is a little bit better a shooter i think he would fit better so i I think they would absolutely do that deal i don't particularly enjoy it for new orleans but that's my thought at least from toronto's perspective let's go to jared jared you are on the air hey guys thanks for taking my call um so i was listening to the um uh 
the uh, 2023 uh, Crystal Ball podcast. And I think tor- towards the end, um, Danny, you said um, in terms of talking about who the best player in the league would be, uh, mentioned Luca, And then um, Nate, uh, I, I believe, made the comment that um, he couldn't put Luca in there because he didn't think Dallas could make a conference final uh, uh, either this year or next year. And um, I was kind of, uh, I don't want to say taken aback by that because I was, you know, on my view, um, if Dallas can take the, uh, can maintain their, their position in the five seed and if Phoenix um, gets the one seed, I was thinking that would be uh, uh, two pretty favorable matchups for them to get to the conference finals this season in, in Phoenix and um, uh, Denver. So I guess I was just wondering where am I going wrong in, in thinking that? No, I don't think that would be impossible. Um, now that would be an all time, like very easy path to get to the conference finals, right? Like I don't really count Portland's 2019 conference finals appearance because they just like, they weren't one of the two best teams in the conference. So I I think maybe that's a better way to think about it of, you know, whether they would be one of the two best teams in the conference and yeah, teams can luck or even like three, three best. I think you could use as a shorthand too. Like maybe you get that kind of easy, but if you're like, if, Three of the top four teams are on the other side of the bracket. It's not the same thing. Yeah, so I, I mean, maybe to say that it's impossible, that that's probably not fair. I mean, we're we're trying to just predict what we think will happen, and even even with the path that you're talking about, if everyone's healthy on Dallas and you know Denver still has all these injuries, like I might actually end up favoring favoring Dallas in that series. I don't think I would favor them against Phoenix, but I would think that it would be possible for them to win that one. Um, but again, you know, that would be not beating Utah or either of the LA teams, that's like kind of, you know, you could still very easily be the fourth best team in the conference there and get to the finals. So, uh, and again, I wouldn't say if they beat those two teams, you know, I wouldn't, you know, Denver is not really like an elite playoff defense and, you know, we'll see about the Suns. I'm a little concerned about them. So it, it would have to be, you know, against the the best defenses and, yeah, you know what? If if they did that this year and they took you know the Lakers or the Jazz or whoever to seven and lost and Luca was unbelievable, um, then maybe I might feel differently. But it just it, the the point, by the way, for those who didn't listen to that pod, was just it's at the if you're not actually playing at the highest levels, it's hard to prove that you can win at the highest level, and so maybe that's unfair to him. But it's also just you know, not enough for me. Like I'm a little more conservative on this stuff, maybe than Danny, as far as, you know, I kind of rate what has already happened in the playoffs, maybe higher than he does. So if he's, if he's never really gotten to a conference finals, it's very difficult for me to say he's the best player in the NBA. Right. And uh, yeah, I I guess I just want some clarification on that. So thanks. And um, um, maybe already answered this, but like, you know, suppose they did get to uh, 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 a conference final, uh, this year and, and played the Clippers or something like that, uh, or Utah, if Utah got the two seed, um, you know, what, what would Luca have to do in your mind to, to say, okay, yeah, you know, they're, they're not going to win this series, but it's more due to the fact that he's playing for the Mavericks than anything, uh, that he himself is, is, is short on as, as far as his ability. Yeah. I mean, they would just have to have be unbelievable in offense and he would have to put up great stats and probably, you know, have over 60% true shooting and averaging 30 points a game and, and 10 assists and driving a great offensive performance for his team. And maybe the reason they lose is just that their defense sucks. And, but it's not, he, and he's not that big a part of it. You know, I think it would, it would take that sort of a performance 
I would say. And certainly, I think last year he did about as much as you could have hoped for someone in his position to do in the playoffs. But they were just so undermanned by the time they got to games five and six with no Porzingis. It was just, it, it's, you know, that type of an exit, you know, that's not going to be enough. It would have to just be an absolutely heroic, you know, sort of. So actually, a great analog would be this. Um, you remember that 2009 series where LeBron James lost the Magic? Yeah, yeah. Sure. So it would have to be something along those lines. Like 2009, I probably would have still had LeBron ranked as number one, where even, you know, and that was like maybe the best series that anyone's ever played from a statistical standpoint, which is insane uh, that they lost the series. But, and, and part of Stan's strategy was kind of, you know, let LeBron get his, which worked. You know, that's part of why he put up those numbers, but still. So, yeah, it would be have to be something where, all right, we're talking, we're still talking about this series as like one of the greatest series ever in a losing effort type of thing. Cause there's just, there's so much talent around here to, for, and they also even part of it would have to be, you know, how rare is it for a 21 year old to actually be the best player in the NBA? Like a 21 year old being better than the other best guys who are 26 or 30 or whatever. That's very rare as well. That kind of factors into it some. So, sorry, that was a little more long winded than I should have been, but uh, hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Thanks, guys. I, I pulled the stats. Uh, here, here was LeBron's line for that six-game series against the Magic in 2009. 38.5 points, 8.3 rebounds, 8 assists, and over a steal and a block a game, 59% true shooting, 39% usage, and 40% assist rate. Yeah, and, um, and that's back when completely... 59% true shooting meant something. You know, and 38 points a game yeah. meant something. That, that was... You know, the league average back then was probably maybe like 53% true shooting. Like that's, that would be the equivalent of 63% today. Yeah. So I wanted to, wanted to have that out there. Um, We will go to Matt. Matt, you're on the air. Hi guys. I just have a quick Celtics question Uh, with the Jalen Brown injury kind of ending their season. uh, Who do you guys think will ultimately be the scapegoat for their disappointing season, whether it's a player, coach, or even an executive? It's interesting. I, I think that there will be fewer scapegoats this year than any other because I think there will be people involved. And honestly, ownership is in many ways the most important in all of these circumstances that will just blame the circumstances. And so like for Toronto, that's a, another example of this. I think they're they're not analogous situations, but they're kind of close enough where doesn't mean that Nick Nurse or Ujiri, I mean, I when Nate and I both talked about Danny Ainge in our not executive of the year conversation. Um, so like, I think that's part of it. But I, but if we're talking in practical terms of how will this change the way the team is run, the way that, that everybody approaches it, my inclination is that Boston isn't going to, even if, even if ownership thought that Danny Ainge was the biggest problem, I don't think they're going to move on from him because of that, at least in this shorter period of time. So my instinct is they're probably not, they're going to say, hey, 20, this was a crazy year. We got absolutely crushed by absences both COVID and non-COVID and so that is the that is the biggest reason that we didn't reach the level that we did and so that puts a lot more heat on the 21-22 season and then if they disappoint again then that does it but I think we're going to see a lot of teams go in that direction especially ones that have a coach that they trust and star players that aren't really going anywhere. Nate do you have anything on that? No I don't I I was doing it doing another uh, uh another tweet uh, but but I also want to say, uh, uh, Tommy Westhill, uh, he, feel free to get in here if, if you get a speaker request from from that guy. He's got something to say in the comments, so let's get him. We can get him on live here, and he can uh, he, he can let us know how he feels live. 
I've been working with Masterclass now for probably four years, ever since Steph Curry's class on shooting and ball handling came out. And I still find more classes that I'm enjoying. My wife and I have actually been sitting down together and watching Gordon Ramsay's class and learning a ton about cooking technique that basically we're applying right away. More her than me, if we're being honest, because it is the NBA playoffs after all. I don't have a ton of time for cooking right now. But I'm just continually wowed by the quality of Masterclass just even when they're filming him doing the class they've got like four different cameras there they'll show you an overhead view above him of what he's doing in the pan or the bowl it's really just remarkable and really whatever your interest is and however deep you want to go into it whether you want to just watch the videos whether you want to work through the downloadable materials as well and you can watch it on ios android we're casting it to our chromecast super easy the way to get started with them and get unlimited access to every master class and 15 percent off an annual membership is to go to masterclass.com slash capspace easy to remember because we talk about it all the time here on the program that's masterclass.com slash capspace for 15 percent off masterclass don't forget that slash capspace to let them know that you came from us but he's not in, so we will go to Kyle. Kyle, you are on the air. Kyle, are you there? Okay. Uh, you, Nate, you can't hear Kyle, correct? No. Okay, so you can. I'll, I'll see if you pop back in the queue. Um, Nan said we will go to Nunya. Nunya, you're on. Uh, I had a quick like intro and then the real question. So first question is, what do you think OG Ananobi's three-point percentage and attempts per game are so far this season? uh three point percentage is oh god i think it's like i'm gonna say 39 and a half and attempts per game i'm gonna call it five i actually looked this up fairly recently and i think it was like 38 or 39 and 5.5 how'd we do today it was 39 yeah 39.8 and 6.1 is what i okay that's not bad i think i I think we did well for for that pop quiz i I, i'm loving that this is becoming a trend now that we're uh (laughs) um that we're uh now getting put on the spot but that's fine we could we could test our knowledge we got no problems with that i think you guys nailed it um but considering that um what would you guys think like og ananobi's trade value is this summer um it seems like he's basically the best wing defender or one of in the league and now he's shooting really well from three on pretty high volume so what do you guys think about that i mean i i'm a huge fan of og ananobi and his contract is eminently reasonable so after this year three more seasons that are locked in 17 million roughly a year for there and then he has a player option for 19.9 and the general assumption with player options is always that the player is going to make the right decision so you assume it's kind of a three-year contract unless things go really poorly i you know it's always hard in terms of valuation like og is probably i'm guessing that he's you're going to be wanting him on a good team so that means generally they don't have a lot of superfluous talent that is good you're going to be more looking for young players and draft picks but i think he could bring back a return but not like a star or anything like that i mean he's a lower usage offensive player who has some room to grow but the challenge is like those players i generally find are undervalued in trades you know like maybe you can get like the the, we're kind of calling it the Robert Covington of like two yeah. non-premium first-round picks. I think that's probably about the conversation. And maybe with OG, you could get a young player that's somewhat interesting, maybe more interesting to replace one of those picks or something like that. How does that feel to you, Nate? Yeah, it, it does seem like if you're really going into the total rebuild, well, number one, he's also shown a little bit more off the dribble this year, and we have seen that mm-hmm. player type grow into maybe more of a score and grow later than 
other player types, you know, Kawhi obviously is the ultimate example. Jimmy Butler is that OG's just kind of getting into that range of 25, 26. So they may want to continue to develop him. And, you know, as they have with the Siakam, for example, because he does have the physical tools to dominate. And maybe he doesn't have the ball skills. Maybe they feel like they can get that with him. But yeah, it does seem like, especially given his youth and the fact that his extension is just kicking in next year and he's under contract for four more years, you'd think, oh, the value would probably be if Robert Covington is with two years left on his contract, his two first-round picks, like OG Ananobi would be three first-round picks. But it doesn't really seem to work out that way. And also... The thing is, right, part of why you'd be thinking about Toronto moving him is, well, they're not really in a position to win right now. And that sort of player is most valuable on teams that are trying to win right now. So there only is going to be a limited market for him among teams that are trying to win right now. Now, maybe you could say, hey, there's uh, he's under contract for four years. We could be ready to win then. But if you're not that good, you don't want to give away three first round picks or you know a prospect and two first round picks whatever it is to get OG Ananobi so that you can still not really be a championship contender so there's there isn't necessarily that sweet spot for that type of player even if in a vacuum you're like oh yeah if Robert Covington is this he's way better than him he's under contract for longer he's younger he should be more it's a difficult type of player to trade which you kind of hit on as well there thinking of him specifically in the Warriors context um if they could trade some combination of like Wiseman, their own first and Minnesota's obviously not all three of them or maybe not obviously but some common combination or sub combination of those there could be a wonderful trade there but thanks for your time yeah golden state w- would be an interesting one to be sure uh to get him i mean now uh, how much is Wiseman valued at this point it's kind of difficult to say and even so i mean you'd still i mean i guess if you have clay and steph Clay, Steph, Wiggins, Ananobi, Draymond. I mean, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> that, that's definitely a pretty good defensive team. You might still be a little bit low on the offense there, but you just gotta hope that Clay and Steph could bring you home. But also, it's just so hard to make these decisions if you're Golden State without seeing Clay Thompson healthy. And he's, I mean, my guess is that he's not gonna be healthy to start next season. Maybe he will be. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's take another one here, Danny. Let's go to Eric. Eric, you are on the air. Hey guys, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, I was just, um, I just wanted to ask two off-season questions, and then I'll, I'll just let you guys uh, answer them. Um, I just wanted to know, uh, besides the obvious ones, who would you say could be some unexpected coaches in the hot seat this off-season? Like, could we see a guy like Brad Stevens or Dwayne Casey let go? And then also, aside from Bradley Beal, who do you think are the three best players you see changing teams this will be a trade or free agency? Ooh, let's, let's start with the hot seat one here. Unexpected guys on the hot seat. But J.B. Bickerstaff? I've brought up Clifford before. That might even be just a mutual parting of the ways. Yeah, because um, Clifford, I don't know that he even, he may just have a team option for next year as well. And so I think if they're usually coaches in that situation, they're either advocating for an extension uh, or not. And so maybe, maybe, and Clifford, I don't know how much he's making. I don't think he's making like some huge amount or anything, but they still might want to go cheaper, more of a developmental guy uh, as well. Um, so, I mean, that's a thought out, but I don't like, I don't think him is on the hot seat because he hasn't done a bad job. Like he's not going to get fired, but you know, in Cleveland, they're just kind of, you know, they're kind of hanging around. I mean, they've been bad again. Like they want to take another step forward. I don't think that Bickerstaff has shown enough to feel good about now. Maybe they just don't want to pay because I think they give him a pretty substantial deal to take over for beeline. So he probably at least has another guaranteed year. Um, who else should we be? Well, I have one. I don't know if this counts as a hot seat, but I've, 
I don't know his personality well enough to know if Pop would just straight up walk away. You know, just be like, I'm done. I don't need to do it. But I wouldn't be stunned if that's the way it happens at some point, is that he's just like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. And and they, they whether they have a succession plan or not, I, I could see that happening. I would be shocked if KC was moved on from in Detroit because he got a five-year deal. I'm guessing probably that fifth year is not guaranteed, but this is his third year. He's making $7 million. Like, it's the same as Scott Brooks. Basically, uh, good job, Warren Legary, by the way, to get Dwayne Casey $7 million, just like you got Scott Brooks $7 million a year. So, and Casey's doing, he's done a good job developing players elsewhere. I think, like, the, their rookies have been good this year. Like, there's no reason to move on from Dwayne Casey, and certainly no reason to move on from him and pay him $7 million to not coach. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would be surprised if they moved on from him. Maybe that'll come to a crux after next year. Um, Stan? Yeah, maybe. Because, I mean, there's there's always these rumblings that players don't like playing for Stan, and there does g- seem to be a little bit of desperation setting in already with New Orleans and Zion. So uh, now, they, whether they're going to pay uh, Stan to go away after one year, I, I'm skeptical about that, certainly. Um, let's see here. That's pro- I mean, Stotts, that's kind of more expected already. Uh, I mean, I... I, I because we're just we're just wildly speculating here. Nick Nurse, like I don't know which side. I, I, I it would be. They just gave him an extension, that, though. I'm pretty sure. So yeah. that that would be surprising. Yeah, they they gave him an extension and they gave Webster an extension. I yeah. Believe. Now it could just be Masai leaves. It's clear they're rebuilding, and then maybe you know it could be the type of thing where like they trade Nurse to another team. Uh, you know, but just because he's he like doesn't want to sit around for a, a total rebuild um obviously they're very pleased with him but it could be the type of thing where he's like eh, i don't know if i want to still be here if Masai is going to be gone and we're totally tearing down we're just not going to have the talent you know they trade siakam or something and i i don't anticipate that's going this is a very okay so so yeah. Nate, here's the question let's say let's game that out let's say that happens what team would you most want to see nick nurse coach oh baby uh i, I have an answer no nah, well if you got one the- let's go the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, well, and, and oh, and that I mean that again. We're we're ruling out the Bucks because it's already been reported that Bud. Made yeah, just like the Blazers and numerous other oh, ones. God, that would that would be pretty awesome. Now, unfortunately, Milwaukee ha- doesn't even have like any draft picks that they can trade. I don't think. Uh, is that true? They literally Merrill, can't baby. trade one right now. Yeah, because because well, so what was the price for Doc Rivers? That was a first, right? To go from Boston I think it was a first, to, like a late first to go from Boston to the Clippers, um, and then those teams were also and now to be clear you can't straight up trade a coach what you do is you send the pick for the team letting the guy out of his contract and then the guy can sign the contract with the new team. yeah it's it's sort of more like a transfer in soccer where you like you can use that as an opportunity to negotiate a new deal rather than like trade like a player trade in the nba yeah so i don't know what the hell i guess milwaukee oh so milwaukee at the draft once the draft is over milwaukee can trade their 2022 first or 2023 first, actually. They could trade either. No, they, they owe their they owe their 23 to Houston. Do they? Yeah. All right. They I could the, I, I think the they could trade they right could now. trade they could trade that Houston pick. Yeah. Oh shit, I got I gotta get that in there. Okay. That's uh that's a that was a failure to update the sheets. Well, thanks to Eric Eric for the question. Um we have a bunch. We'll try to go through these as fast as we can. Uh Barza, Barza, you are on the air. Hey guys. Um so I know you guys talk a lot about floor raising versus ceiling raising players but i want to get your thoughts on the concept for, but for coaches instead what are some coaches that you put in the floor raising group and what would some coaches be that you put in the ceiling raising group 
first coach I thought of for floor raising is Steve Clifford. Just brought him up, and I think that you know, seeing seeing the Orlando Magic kind of light and seeing some of the limitations that Vooch has had defensively without Clifford. You know, getting his teams to play hard, getting it there. I think that you know, getting players by and Tom Thibodeau to you know, like give it, if we acknowledge his foibles, like he can be a, a floor raising coach in a couple ways. One of them being just playing guys a ton of minutes, uh, ceiling raising. So that I. I I mean, Nurse did a lot of that in the 19 season when they won the title. Um, that's interesting. Oh, and Budenholzer is a great floor raiser too. Um, trying to think of, of of really good ceiling. I'll, I'll leave ceiling raisers to you, Nate. Well, Nurse, I think w- would be up there. Uh, I might even have uh, Steve Kerr in there as well. I think he's a pretty good playoff coach. Uh, certainly raised the ceiling of the Warriors when he first got there. Um, you might say, yeah, you know. Ty Lu will be an interesting one. I want to see what happens in the playoffs with him this year. Um, oh, Vogel has, even though his time in the Magic was struggling, his floor racing, I mean, yeah. with just how well the Lakers defended this year, as the talent just kept on changing, that was really impressive. No, absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of who else I would think of as like a pretty, you know, I'm, I, when I think of a ceiling raiser, I'm kind of thinking of a creative coach uh, who, you know, if you give him the right players, is going to come up with some schemes that are really good. That's part part of why Nurse uh, was was in there for me. I mean, I guess you know Brad Stevens. Maybe you would say he is a ceiling raiser. I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. I mean, these these Boston teams have had a lot of success for probably really never having. I mean, Spo. Uh yeah, yeah. That I mean, I, I think of him as a defensive ceiling yeah. raiser. Offensive, I kind of see. Um. Okay, let's do one more speaker request and uh, and one more from the comments here. We get, we got about uh, sure. got about eight minutes left here. Uh, Kyle, you are on the air. Kyle, you there? Okay, we will we will move on to the next one. Um, Hendrick, Hendrick, you are on the air. Sol- solid cat and, avatar here. For, and for Hendrick, you you are muted if that's what you're wondering. Hi guys. Hey. Hey. Now, I understand the gimmick we all pay for with Dunkdown is a cold, logical approach to hoop analysis. But can't we all drop this trade and wonder, what if the Dubs front office and Steve Kerr didn't punt this year for development and tried to add more talent and use better tactics to chase wins? Maybe they wouldn't be playing for this tournament spot and could flirt with home court. What do you think? I don't think that they I, ultimately would have had enough depth to make that happen. I, I, well, so explain what you mean, Hendrick. Like, what are like some moves? Obviously, not playing Wiseman would have been would have been one. Uh, not drafting Wiseman would have been one. Uh, but I, I mean, are you thinking they traded that pick? Are you thinking that they give up a future first to make another deal? Are you thinking they just have the same roster now, but they just tried to maximize wins through, throughout the season? Like, what are you thinking there, Hendrick? That's a, these are great questions. Um, I would say, you know, not playing Wiseman, maybe drafting someone who's more ready than Wiseman. Um, although, honestly, I guess n- neither Lamelo, Lamelo wasn't really ready either. But I suppose they could have traded yeah. down and got. I, I mean, he was caliber. ready. It's just no one thought that he was at the time. Right, right. No one thought he was ready. So yeah, I, I don't know, but um, I don't really have uh, a good follow up. Well, so uh, there are a couple things I think. The, one of the challenges that the Warriors faced, and I think it's fair to infer by context that the Kelly Oubre trade was agreed to in a way that they couldn't back out. You know, they didn't want to go full Marcus Morris after Clay Thompson got hurt. And that, you know, like the, there is criticism of, oh, the Warriors didn't use all their roster spots, didn't do all these things. And that's true. 
but they also did add a a player that was a, a you know at least intended to be a starting caliber guy that cost them a ton of money and so it also happened that, you know, like one of the things that they did was they were shorthanded at center and then they had a bunch of centers get hurt. And so I agree that in certain circumstances, Lacob, uh, you know, I, Lacob, if you said this is the amount of money we're going to spend reallocating some of that, like, I mean, Smiley Geach is probably the most obvious thing here, that if they paid somebody to take on Smiley Geach and use that amount of money, just a minimum contract, to sign somebody who was much better than Alan Smiley Geach, that would have really helped. But the Warriors were still going to be disastrous. You know, like if, maybe if you have a, be- a backup point guard that can run the offense a little bit better, maybe in the early versions of that, they're, they're better in those minutes. And then they're, you know, they're still going to lose a bunch of the games when Steph Curry sits. So I don't think that the, you know, and then this came up. I mean, I was, you know, I thought that the Warriors were going to be on the fringes of the playoff race, depending on how healthy Steph Curry was. I didn't expect this season from Steph, but it's the way it works out. So, I do think that it hurt the Warriors. I mean, playing Wiseman versus, you know, like basically a, a different center. I think he was one of the more negative players in the league. That There are consequences to that. But the idea that they could have been, so like, let's say top four. Okay, so like Dallas this year, they're 40 and 28. The, the, the Nuggets are 44 and 24. To say that they would get to there just by having some peripheral talent be different, even if Wiseman played a fair amount, I think that's, that's saying too much. But could they have been the sixth seed? Sure. Could they have been this, maybe even in the mix for the five? Yeah, probably. Thanks for dropping this right. Um, and let's, we can do, oh, actually, um, oh, yeah, we can do this one from Christian Gallegos. That's a good one. You, Nate, wanted to do one in the discussion section. Is it crazy that all bottom four teams in the West, so basically five, six, seven, and eight seeds, depending on who gets it, have a decent chance? He said a great chance. I'll frame it as a decent chance to beat the top four seeds this year. And I will start with the answer, and that is yes. That is, it's part of what makes these playoffs so fascinating and so perilous to kind of like predict and everything is that there are, depending on how the matchups turn out, there are real upset potential basically everywhere. Yeah. I don't think the Warriors have much of a chance against Utah or Phoenix. Um, But they have a better chance than the, like the typical against a one. Okay. Like like if it's like 10 to 15%, like, I don't know. That seems. Yeah. I I mean, we're we're assuming that it's not injuries necessarily yes but yeah i mean we're well and i i think portland is drawing relatively dead also depending but i i mean now if you want to say yeah it, it depends on your nomenclature right like you're not saying that any of the bottom four would have a, a good chance of beating any of the top four it's just there is a chance that if one of the top four or one of the bottom four got the right matchup against one of the top four that they could be pretty competitive like yeah th- you know i think like uh portland against denver would have like a decent chance right like portland against the clippers no way you know uh warriors there's no way that they'll they'll play the clippers but like warriors would be dead against the clippers i think you know obviously if it's the lakers they have a good chance might even i might even favor them against anyone in the top four so it kind of depends but it, it is it is really interesting and obviously that's caused by i mean really the big thing is just that the lakers fell out uh, as well you know, I mean, that that's like, if it weren't for them, it wouldn't be that crazy. But obviously they had a, all these injury issues and this would be kind of unprecedented. And then the last question here that we could take, got a, a question about Anthony Edwards, what I think about him. Talked about him pretty extensively in our pod on Sunday. So you can listen to that. But yeah, I think he's going to be really good. He'd be number two on my redraft, I, I think, by a hair over Halliburton right now. 
So I, he's, he's really come on. It's been very impressive. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, I'd still like him to be a two instead of a three in the long term, but he's done a pretty good job not having to carry the offense as much. He's got Towns and Russell next to him now. He's really, I think, thrived a ton since Russell came back and definitely Towns when he got his stride. So, no, he's, he's shown a lot, and I think he's still a pretty high-variance prospect, but he's shown enough ceiling that I, I think you, I would have to have him two on my board. What about you, Danny? I'm still a little bit skeptical of what Edwards is going to be like with the ball in his hands all the time, I think that he's best as a as a kind of a secondary playmaker. Could be a very good secondary playmaker, and I I would probably go Halliburton over Edwards just because I think Halliburton fits that skill set more cleanly. But Edwards has a you know like you could argue the median value for Ed, for Halliburton's maybe a little bit higher, but the, you're right that the ceiling is significantly. And I know you you we both value ceiling a lot, so I, I can see the rationale behind it. But yeah. with Edwards, I I wonder sometimes. You know, we've made the comparison at times to Demar, the, like there are elements of Demar Derozan there, and it's just that it's hard for players like that to succeed at a really high level. But Edwards, you know, if he takes you know the same thing we said as the prospect, if he excises the ten, the ten percent, those ten percent of his worst shots and he makes the defensive improvements that guys with his physical tools sometimes do, that would make him a, a, a much better complementary player. And I think that he has the right tools for that, even if I don't love him as like an every pl- every possession initiator. All right, well, that will do it for today's locker room. Thanks so much for the great questions. Uh, and if you're listening to the pod, uh, we will not have a Dunked on Prime episode today, but we'll be back on Wednesday, and we're doing that so that we can get one in either Friday or Saturday uh, with the the play-in races and the seating being more important, really, than uh, than maybe it is. Now, uh, we'll catch you next time. You all have heard me talk many times about my wife here on the show. You might recall that she's a yoga teacher, and I wanted to let you know that she is starting her own streaming service called Yoga with Ashlyn, A-I-S-L-I-N-N. That's how you spell it. And if you enjoy our meticulous, data-oriented approach here on Dunked On, either you or a significant other will find this to be the best streaming service there is for yoga. Unlike, apparently, a lot of teachers, she spends about an hour planning the sequence for each class. Why is that important? Well, it helps you get the most out of every second that you're on the mat, whether it's one of her quick 10-minute refresh classes or one of her super hardcore inversion labs. This detailed sequencing makes all the difference, whether you're looking for injury prevention, getting into that really hard pose you haven't been able to master, or just getting your mind right at the end of a really hard day. She's got over 130 classes and that library is growing at one to two classes per week. She'll even take requests from members on new classes that they like. You can search by poses, by body part if you're feeling something is tight. She's really built an impressive platform. And whether you want to get into yoga more yourself or you know someone who is really into yoga and is looking for a way to get a lot better, check out Yoga with Ashlyn. There's a free seven-day trial. You can either go to yogawithashlyn.com or there's a link to her service in the description of this podcast. That's yogawithashlyn.com, A-I-S-L-I-N-N, or just click the link in the podcast description.